Let's do it. We've got every one of our lives wide open. Just give us a call. We'll help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. That's right. Old car won't stop. Won't start. There you go. <laughs> Cranking, clanking. <laughs> Whatever it's doing. You there just you... give us a call. I bet you we can point you in the right direction. There you go. And Give you some things to check anyway. That's it. Should you maybe happen to think of something or something happens after the show goes off and right. you, you want to get some information from us, mm-hmm. you can always visit the website and get your questions answered right. there. 24-7. The address is www.agco auto.com that's a g c o a u t o.com right easy way to remember that is take the acronyms altazan's garage company that's right get you to the site and there's several databases you can search there on the site and mm-hmm. should you happen not to find what you're looking for or just want a personal answer to a particular question send lewis an email and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours yeah i'll go ahead and answer that for you and send it back to you sometimes it'll be in the form of a link to the information if it's already on the site but right. uh, a lot of times if it's something that's not on the site, what I'll do is take and add it to the site so the next person who comes along will be able to find it. I'll definitely get an answer back to you. I don't ever, ever ignore emails or that's not, a, not respond. That's, <laughs> that information on that site is, is a great resource. It's all unbiased mm-hmm. information. There's nothing. We're not trying to sell you anything. It's right. just good. Good, honest information you there can you count go. on without somebody trying to sell you something. That's the problem when you go on the Internet and start looking for anything is that there is a certain amount of expense in putting information on the Internet. So almost everything you tend to find on there has sort of a slant or a bias towards whoever's paying to put it on there. Exactly. So it's sort of like if you go on there looking for information on extended warranties. You're going to go through about 200 pages of paid advertisements, and a lot of folks don't realize that if you pay Google enough money, they'll put your listings up ahead of everybody else's. Right, they'll put you right top of the list. I mean, they're business like everybody else. But you really have to scan through quite a few listings before you can get to any kind of unbiased information. That's right. Uh, everybody else is trying to sell you a policy. So all you're going to hear is about how great this is, da-da-da. Now, you get down to, like, consumer reports of some of those guys who I feel a I don't always agree with everything they say, but they tend to be pretty unbiased in their opinion. And, uh-huh. of course, they're going to slam the devil out of these things. Of course, they're 50 pages back in the list. Exactly. <laughs> you you got, actually got to go looking for that particular. Well, you know, there's very little money in the truth. Exactly. Uh, and there's a whole lot of money in False slamming. advertising. Yeah, false, well, misleading people. Yeah, that's, that's how money is made in, in many, many cases, sad to say. And that's true of everything from politics on down. Oh, definitely. Just so, so much misinformation out there. And, you know, when you got a huge, huge populace of people and everybody's got some money to spend, you got companies that they have a vested interest in trying to point you one way or the other. Yep. And one of the examples of that is sort of like this extended all change deal. And I know we've kind of beat this to death uh, on the radio, but why do they push these extended all changes so hard? You know, 7,000 miles, 8,000 miles, nine. Who benefits from this? The manufacturer that's selling the vehicle. That's right. That's right. Because the car owner, at very, very best, is going to save one or two oil changes a year. Right. Which is very minimal. 20, 30 bucks a year? Yeah, uh, 60 exactly. bucks a year? Yeah, at most. And who really stands to gain from this? Well, the guy who has a car that gets to, say, 80, 90, 100,000 miles and has major, major problems. There's a rear main seal's leaking. The valve guides are pumping oil. The piston rings are stuck. The car is basically no longer repairable. Right. So this person is going to have to get another car. 
Now, not only that, but we have taken this car out of the used car market because it's not economically feasible to be repaired. It's going to cost more to fix it than it is. So they just eliminated their number one competitor, who is a used car, and they forced you into a new car. Exactly. <laughs> Which is really a pretty brilliant stroke of marketing, if you think about it. But why would they do this? It's just to drive car sales. Well, they're only expecting your car to last 13 years. Well, that's right. They do not want anybody to last 13 years. And they don't sure want you to get two or 300,000 miles. The way they see it, hey, that's three cars they should have sold exactly. in that period of time. So that's just kind of getting back to the point. you got to watch who is giving you the information. And I find that if, I, if I'm looking for a certain piece of information, I try to get as much as I can, and I compare what's being said, and then I look at who's saying it. Exactly. Why would this person say this? And it's sort of well, it's bad just going, to be so skeptical, but that's just the way it has to be nowadays. It's going for the, yeah, the symptom. That's right. You're treating the symptoms instead of the problem so often. Exactly. That's one thing that you can count on, the information that we put on there. It's unbiased. We really don't have a way to tell you one way or the other. And certainly we hope that you will do business with us. But we realize that the vast majority of people going to that site probably aren't going to do business with us. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to provide a good resource for everybody because we get people from all over the world. I have people from Malaysia, people from Russia, people Australia. from France, Australia, all over yeah. the world going to that site. Well, obviously, they're not going to drive the car to Baton Rouge to get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel that if I can help these folks get a little better repair job, well, maybe I'm making the whole industry just a little bit better. Exactly. And so that's kind of the reason why we do it. But pop on there and see what you think. Just put an article in this morning on catalytic converters and that's one of the things that most people don't know anything about. Don't even realize they're on there until right. they give you a problem. Well, usually the first sign is either a check engine light pops on and somebody says, hey, you got to spend $1,000. Yeah. Or they start getting a rattling noise under the car. Maybe they get a rotten egg type smell. Mm-hmm. That's their first initiation to a catalytic converter and what it is. And converters, catalytic converters are basically, they have no moving parts. They're very simple in design. And it's basically a big ceramic honeycomb full of a precious metal like platinum or palladium or rhodium or something like that. And as the exhaust gases pass over it, it turns these very toxic gases into less toxic gases. Correct. And expels them out of the tailpipe. So it's probably the leading pollution preventer on cars. And they've been on there since 1975, although they've developed over the years. They've gotten, there's like a different stages that they've gone to. They actually handle more pollutants at all now. But there are certain things that you can do inadvertently that will damage a catalytic converter that's and right. cost you a great great deal of money and, and not realize it that's right not knowing anything about it so that's what this article endeavors to do is to tell you some things you can do to maybe prevent having to replace that's a big expense oh it's huge you know, it's the, we the cheapest a, ones are five six hundred dollars yeah the real low ones are probably i think the cheapest one i ever saw is maybe 350 dollars mm-hmm. and they go up from there some of the ford products seem to be the highest uh, i know we had a mustang come in the other day it was twenty five hundred dollars for the catalytic converter it's four converters on it right and that basically totaled the car I mean, right it was more than the car was worth and the guy can't get an inspection sticker with the with the engine light, light on so basically had to knock the car in the head and there's another one out of the Move market. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes another one. And another one bit the dust. But there are things you can do to certainly extend the life of that converter. Definitely. And th- those are things this article will try to help you to realize. One thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that a converter works by getting hot. And it has to drive a certain distance to get to the proper temperature to where it starts working. And if all you do is very, very short trips... And I know we've got a ton of elderly customers who just don't drive their cars a whole lot. Right. 
Maybe they go to the beauty shop and back, or maybe they go to church maybe, and back. Maybe, maybe to the grocery 2, store. Maybe 2,000 miles a year. Right, right. They are prime candidates for catalytic converter failure. And what you really should be doing is about once a week, get the car out, go out on the interstate, get it up to 70 miles an hour, and hold it for at least 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, get in your car, go to Gonzales. Right. Go to St. Francisville. Go, go out, to go out and eat somewhere. Lafayette, you know. And if you don't feel safe driving that far, maybe you have a family member who could drive the car for you. Right. Maybe you have a friend, but you need to get the car out, get it to full temperature. The converter does what it calls what they call fire off. Mm-hmm. It gets to a critical temperature and then it starts to blow the pollutants out. Well, if you never do that, they tend to just build up in there and they destroy the converter itself. So you can end up with a huge expense on your hands if you never drive the car fast enough. And a couple of the other things, prime things that kill a converter, one is if you get a check engine light and you ignore it. Correct. For instance, an oxygen sensor. Well, if the oxygen sensor light comes on and the sensor is no longer working, that is the number one thing that protects the catalytic converter because it monitors the fuel-air mixture going into the converter. So if you get a bad oxygen sensor and the fuel-air mixture is wrong, you may be dumping too much gas into the converter. You'll burn it up real quick. Right. It can't handle an absorbent amount of extra fuel. Right. So you'll take a $100 repair and turn it into a $1,000 repair just by ignoring. you still got to do the $100 repair anyway. Exactly. (laughs) So that's one of the things. Another thing that we find is putting the wrong oil in the engine. And that's where maybe the engine calls for 5W20 and somebody jumps up and puts 10W30 in it. The oil is much more volatile. The crankshaft beats through it. It produces a lot more fumes. Those fumes get scavenged by the PC system, sucked into the converter, and it's like throwing fuel in the fire. Right. Ford was having a problem with that with their 4.6s well, that in is the why, early years. That's why they redesigned and went to 520 in large part. Same thing with Honda. They were having trouble with their catalytic converters, so they went to the thinner oil to try to help with that problem. And they redesigned the engine where it works just fine with the 5W20. Right. So there's no advantage to going to a different oil. And you may end up wiping out a catalytic converter. Doing some damage. Right. So, good article. A set of detailed topics. Pop on there, read it, see what you think. Might save you a whole lot of money. And lots of other good ones on there as well. That's www.agcoauto.com. Agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway. That's the best. I get your kicks. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
Hey, welcome back. You just joined us as the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? You know, the website had a little snafu, I guess, this morning. I got up pretty early, around right. 5 o'clock, and the server was down. I think the main server in Atlanta had a pretty bad crash. But wow. I think by about 6, 37 o'clock, they had it straightened out. Yeah. Back up and yeah, up I know and it was running. up. It was up around nine for sure. Yeah, those guys that handle our server do a really, really good job. I mean, they, I think they got like ninety nine point nine nine something percent uptime. That's on, great. Yeah, and that is uh, every excellent. time it's ever been down. I mean, just within a very, very short period of time, they, they got, got it up back and up running. running. Yeah, I've never been to the place, but I want to understand it's a pretty intense place <laughs> you know, i imagine it is huge mainframes and they all have redundant backups on them and one goes down it goes to another one automatically and they all have shadow copies now so it's a pretty sophisticated operation and they do a real good job for us yeah they do let's go to our phone i've got david online good morning david hey good morning yes, good sir. morning i've got a 1994 f-150 yes sir and the air conditioner only blows when you put it on the normal position. Okay. If you put it on maximum, it, it won't do anything. Yes, sir. David, that may be as simple as a fuse. There is an inline fuse under the hood somewhere. Normally, it's back on the firewall. And what happens, it's got a speed control relay that all the speeds go through. Mm -hmm. But when you go to maximum, it jumps past that, goes through this wire, and runs straight to the blower mode. And okay. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's going back a little ways, but I think there is a fuse back there on the firewall. Normally, when that fuse blows, what you're going to find when you take it up, the little fuse holder is going to be melted. And what causes that is the blower motor is going bad. They get kind of dried out over the years. It yeah. takes more and more amperage to pull them. And a slow, hard amperage pull is not like a short. A short would blow the fuse instantly. But that slow, extended amperage pull which tends to melt connections. Yes, but they were pretty bad about it. But check back on the firewall. I believe it was a big red wire, about a number 10-gauge wire. And if you look, there's going to be a fuse holder in there somewhere. And like I said, most time it melted that fuse holder. Uh -huh. And you okay. can cut it out, go to a parts store, buy another fuse holder, just solder it back in there. But if you don't end up changing the blower motor, it's going to end up doing it again. Okay. Got one more question Sure, for go you. ahead. I'm getting ready to put an evaporator coil on that thing, okay. and I'm wondering how many pounds of Freon does that thing hold? It's been converted to, from the R12 to the 134. There's normally a sticker under the hood, even on a 90 model, that's going to give that to you. It's going to be somewhere under there. If not, if you send me an email, I'll look it up in service data. It's probably going to be around two pounds, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't it, use huh? that. Yeah, normally... Most of them hold around 2 to 2.2, 2, something like that. You, you really need to find that sticker and find out exactly how much right. it takes. Or send okay, me an well, email. I'll, I'll sure look for that. If, yeah, like like Lewis said, if you can't find that sticker, send us an email. Yeah, because if, uh, if you overcharge it, you'll end up tearing your compressor up. And right, it's very easy to overcharge them with gauges because gauges aren't very accurate, even on an old system like that. Uh-huh. All right, Lewis, listen, thank you so much okay, for, sir. for the advice. I yes, appreciate sir. it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call. I'm glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Great. The best thing I like about working on a Saturday morning is I get to listen to y'all. There you there go. You go. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> a good thing. I've learned a lot, man. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm actually calling about my son's truck. He's okay. got a 2009 Nissan Titan. Yes, sir. And he decided to start changing his own oil, and he's okay. going with synthetic. He's okay. got mobile, a mobile synthetic oil. Yeah, mobile one. Yeah, good exactly. Mm -hmm. It is a good product. Yeah, I've listened to y'all for mm -hmm. several years now, and, and y'all really say how good that product mm -hmm. is. So he went with that. Mm -hmm. Now, but my question is, I don't recall how many oil changes does he have to do before it 
basically flushes out the old oil and replaces it all with the uh, the new oil. Well, what you do, David, just go ahead and how many miles are on a truck now? Oh, I don't recall. No Roughly. more than, say, 20. Okay, low mileage. There won't be any trouble at all then because at 20,000, is not going to be an appreciable buildup in there. Just uh-huh. go ahead and put the mobile one in, change the filter. If he wants to be real safe, about halfway through that oil change, mm-hmm. he could change the filter again. In other words, you don't have to drain oil. Just take the filter off, put a new filter on, top the oil off, and then run it on out from there. Yeah. The reason being, any sludge that might be in there is going to get broken up probably in the first change. And uh-huh. that filter is going to pick it up. So at 20000 I doubt that would even be necessary. But if you just want to be really safe, you could do that. And then after that, just, just normal. Change All right, my, my next question sure. is, since he's already changed it day before yesterday, yes, so Friday yesterday, mm-hmm. how long should he let it go before he changes it again? How does he drive the truck, David? How many miles does he put at a time? He doesn't drive a lot. He works in Baton Rouge, and he lives in Watson, so maybe 30 miles a day, Yeah, if he's putting, 35 miles a day. If he's going 30 and 35 <clears> miles a day, he could probably go five, 6,000 miles pretty easy. If he was making little short trips, like, uh-huh. three to five miles at a time, uh-huh. then I'd recommend 3,000. Reason yeah. being, Mobile One or any <clears throat> synthetic is a great product. It's much better uh-huh. protection, but it's okay. not going to really go longer than a regular oil simply because it cleans better, so it's going to get dirty faster. Okay. So it's kind of a fallacy started by the oil companies to try to make it seem more competitive on price. Okay. It will go longer before it oxidizes, but the problem is it gets dirtier than regular oil because it's yeah. going to clean better. So... On short trips, I'd go just, I'd still go 3,000 miles. If he's okay. driving 30 miles, 15 miles at a time, he could go out much longer because the oil's getting nice and hot and it's cleaning itself up. Yeah, okay. And you can pretty much gauge that if his mileage changes by just checking the oil and seeing how it looks. You can. It's going to get pretty dirty anyway. You can notice synthetic oil turns black pretty fast because, like I said, uh, it's a great detergent. It cleans really well. Okay. But. There's lots of other little factors that go in there. I just, I'm one of those people who I think it's false economy trying to go a long time on an oil change. I mean, all, even Mobile One Synthetic is cheap, especially if you can change uh-huh. it yourself, compared okay. to the problems that we see from cars that don't get changed enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's any doubt, I'd go sooner. You know, I mean, sooner than later. Yeah. So he'd be pretty safe if he goes between four to 5,000. Yes, yeah, so I think he would, if, as long as he's driving 15, 20 miles at a time. Yeah. Do yourself a favor, too, and get the Nissan yeah. oil filters for it. Okay. And it, there is a torque spec on the drain plug. Because mm-hmm. if okay. you over-tighten it, you're going to strip the threads out the pan. Yeah, got aluminum oil pan on. Uh, <laughs> so boy, you, that's, that's real nasty. We get that in quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to tell them to be careful on that. Too. Yeah. I mean, you uh, go buy them a little cheap torque wrench. Or you can go buy a little cheap torque wrench for probably 15 bucks, And just go ahead and look up the spec and torque that plug each and every time. You'll save okay. yourself way more money than you'll ever oh, spend yeah. on a torque wrench. Most definitely. Or what should he set it down? What should he set the torque at when he's using that? Right? You'll have to look it up. I don't, you don't have to top no, not, not for a Nissan. They vary considerably. Some of them are as low as 12 foot pounds, some as high as 33 foot pounds. If he wants to send me an email, I'll look up the torque spec for him and give him the exact on it. And what All we right. do at the shop, we just take a yellow crayon and write it on the bottom of the pan. That way I don't have to look it up every time because I'm not going to remember it in three months. You know? well, that's a good idea, too. Yeah, we just write it on there, and, and that way you just look up, there it is. and Even write the amount of oil underneath the hood somewhere. Yeah, on each customer's car that comes in, we'll make a little mark, the amount of oil that it takes and the torque spec, and all that way we don't have to look it up each and every time. All right, well, I will pass that on to him this morning. I appreciate you. Okay, y'all. David. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh. You too. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. 
Hey, Louis. Hey, Rick. Yeah, I just bought a 2004 Honda CRV okay. to pull behind my motorhome. Yes, sir. And I want to change the tires on it. Right now, it has brick stones uh-huh, on it. Uh-huh. They like P20570R15. What would you recommend for that? I would go back with the same exact size. Of course, I'm going to say Michelin just because I'm a Michelin man through and through, and I don't own any stock in the company. It's just I've had great, great, great results with them. Mm-hmm. Just a wonderful tire. Some of the 15-inch sizes are getting a little difficult to find now. That's the only problem you're going to run across, Joe. You're not going to have a big selection because everything has gone to 16, 17, 18, 20, those great big old crazy tires. Yeah. And so all the manufacturers are going to building those great big old tires, and they don't forgot about the 14 and 15 market. So you don't have as big a selection as you had at one time, but I'm pretty sure we can still get that. But that's what I would do now. Is it a two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive CRV? It's a two-wheel drive. Okay, okay. I was going to say the four-wheel drive CRVs, there's a special oil that goes in that rear differential that has to be changed pretty regular. And if not, boy, they'll start making some racket. You'll think the truck's about to fall apart. <laughs> and there's a special oil you put in there that quiets them right back down again. But the two-wheel drive, that doesn't apply. Okay, do I have to make an appointment to get the tires changed? Well, I, I would, Joe, because right now we're so busy. I mean, we're running way, way, way backlog. And if you don't, if you just drop in, it may be a couple of days before I can get to it. But if you call Elaine Monday morning, she can set it up for you. And, I mean, we'll get it swapped out. Okay, good. I'll do uh, that. Okay, Joe. And you do the alignment, too? Do anything we can, on yes, sir. It. I can do anything on that vehicle. Okay. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the line with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How yes, are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Call about a 94 F-150 Ford truck. Okay. And while I'm driving it, usually when I first start out within the first 10, 15 minutes of uh-huh. driving, I hear this gurgling noise. Hmm. Uh, where, does it, where does it seem like it's coming from, Dan? It sounds like it's coming around the dash on the dash by the heater core or something you know does so it do it if just, you turn the air conditioner off i don't know try don't try. don't turn the air conditioning off much now do you <laughs> <laughs> that's right I, I was gonna yeah. say try cutting the air conditioning off temporarily and see if the noise goes away a lot of times it's the refrigerant flashing off and the evaporator core will make a gurgling noise like that okay. if the noise is still there then i would suspect you're probably a little low on coolant or you have some air trapped in the cooling system, and that will gurgling noise like that. Now, that's pretty dangerous if that's the case because if you got air in that system, it'll start corroding things, and it can eat the heater core up, which is a big, big, big deal to fix. So try first, cut the AC off, and drive it and see if the noise is gone. If the noise is gone, you might just get the refrigerant checked. It may be just a tad low. When it gets low, it starts flashing in that evaporator core, even though it's cooling okay, but it'll start gurgling like that. If it's not that, then check your coolant, and what you're going to have to do is turn the truck off, let it get cold, and then open the radiator cap and look inside because sometimes the reservoir will stay full, but the radiator itself will be low or there'll be some air trapped in it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's full of coolant. I've checked that, mm-hmm. and it's, radiator's new, two years old. Have it, you been uh, adding any fluid, any coolant to it? I was, but then I found a leak right there behind the thermostat. Okay, gap. yeah, okay. and so it's I not... fixed that, and now that stopped. So. Yeah, and there may still be some air trapped in that in that heater core. There. Could be. Sometimes they're kind of difficult to get all the air out. We go through all kinds of procedures, even up to hooking a vacuum pump to the cooling system. Sometimes to suck all that air out of them. If there's some air trapped in there, it's going to do that. But pretty easy to test. Like I said, just cut the AC off. If the noise goes away, then it's going to be something in the air conditioner. Right. If, if it's still there, it's something in the cooling system. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, Dan. All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we got to take one quick little break. Jack, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break.
Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Jack's been patiently holding. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning, sir. Uh, yeah, I got a question about my Silverado. All right, 2009 sir. Silverado. Yes, sir. And I usually change my oil every 3,000 miles. But the oil efficiency thing still shows it way up in yep, the 70s it does. right and i was wondering how that system works and at what point should i stay with the mileage or at what yeah. point on the efficiency should i change i would ignore that thing jack number one they're notorious for not working properly the biggest factors that it takes into consideration are the miles and the time that's the two main factors. Now, supposedly, it looks at engine load, and it looks at temperature and all that and kind of skews the calculations a little bit. But I know I've got one in my truck, and I run mobile one in mine. I change it every 3,000 miles, but I don't reset it. I just watch it sometimes. And that thing has gone almost a year sometimes before it gets down to where it says change all. Yeah. I mean, which is crazy. And I've towed stuff. I've done where I've not towed stuff and everything else, and it just doesn't really affect it a whole lot. So I don't trust those at all. I, I really think that's geared more for GM selling more cars than it is trying to protect you or help you out. Well, that's that's what I figured, but now I know, and I yep. appreciate your time. All right, Mr. Jack. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. I want to be part of the Automotive Hour. We would love to have you. And we've got Alonzo online. Good morning, Alonzo. Hey, how you doing? Good, great, sir. Uh, Good morning. I have an 05 Dodge Ram pickup truck, uh-huh. and sometime in the morning times when I drive, the transmission is like it's slipping. And what exactly is it doing, Alonzo? Is well, it when you, the tachometer jumping up and the truck not moving? Yeah, or it moves slow. Like Yeah, primarily does it in the morning first thing? Yeah, in the morning sometimes. That is almost time. always going to be what they call delayed engagement. And what causes that is there are some seals that go around the pistons inside the transmission, and the fluid pressure pushes the piston forward, which crushes a bunch of clutches together. That's what makes the truck move. Mm-hmm. Now, those seals tend to get hard over time, particularly if the transmission isn't serviced on a regular basis and isn't serviced with the right fluid. And when they get hard, that fluid will run past the seal instead of applying the friction material. Mm-hmm. When that happens, it's going to slip. Now, the fix is you'd have to rebuild the transmission. However, if you're willing to just give it some time, let it warm up, you may be able to drive it a long, long ways like that. What happens, once the fluid warms up, it softens the seals up, and then they quit doing it. They go ahead and apply. 
One other thing that helps sometimes, not too bad, is just do a proper transmission service. That's where you drop the pan, replace the filter, and put new fluid because new fluid is going to have seal conditioner in it. And sometimes, if they're not too bad, that can soften them up a bit. Normally, that problem is worse in the winter than it is in the summer. Oh. So what's going to happen when it starts getting cold again is when you're really going to notice it. During the oh. summer, it's fairly minor. But I guess the point is, if you're willing to be patient with it, the worst thing in the world you can do is if you notice it slip and sit down and goose the throttle and try to make it slip, that is tearing the clutches up when you do that. Right. So just give it some time. Let it do its little thing. Let it go on. Once it warms up, it'll generally quit doing that. And if that's the case, then you could probably drive it a good ways. But the ultimate fix is going to be to rebuild the transmission. Mm. Okay. Well, I hadn't had it since so five. I hadn't changed the fluid since I had it. So. Yeah, it's definitely past due. Yeah. And that takes mm. a fluid called ATF plus four. It's uh -huh. a special synthetic fluid that goes in it. And you don't want a flush. Don't go anywhere and let them flush. If they say the word flush, uh -huh. just add the word wallet to that. Wallet <laughs> flush. That's all that's about. You take it to a real shop and get a real service on it. Real service on it, okay. Yes. Is, is that something that I can do myself? You can if, you, if you're pretty handy. I mean, basically yeah. all you have to do is go ahead and drop the pan, and when right. you do, the filter will be right there. It's got a number right. of screws in it you take out. Right. Dry everything up real good and change the gasket. You, know, you don't want to put any kind of seal or anything on that gasket, and then just right. refill it with fluid. There is a band adjustment on that one too, but that may be a little out of the league of most do-it-yourselfers. That's one advantage to bringing it to a good qualified shop is they're going to readjust the band for you. They're going to retalk the valve body bolts and all that. Plus, right. it's a little bit tricky to fill that thing up properly. What you have to do is it has to be on a perfectly level ground. It has to be fully warmed up and running in park or neutral. Then you have to pull the stick out, dry it off, put it back in, read it again. And you got to read both sides of the stick mm -hmm. because what happens a lot of times, one side may show full or even pass full, the right. other side will show a little bit low. Well, the low side is the correct reading. Because, see, that gears are turning around there and they're slinging fluid up on one side of the stick, so that's not an accurate reading. Go to my website, and there's an article on checking transmission fluid, and it'll show you okay. pictures and everything. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, I had to do that because, believe it or not, I took auto mechanics when I was in school, but that uh -huh. was... In 73, and I, yeah. I know nothing about a car. Well, you kind of like the guys I used to work with in the dealership. You know, they're worse off now than a guy who never knew anything uh -huh. because they know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I said, a guy that don't know anything, he'll leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything. Like, I mean, you know, where the old cars went, I can just listen to it and tell you That's about right. It. Yep. That's right. I mean, everything you ever knew is now wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. My truck's not running. I have to call the record. That's uh -huh. right. <laughs> All right, Jim. All right, Lonzo. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour, and we've got David online. Good morning, David. Hey, Lewis. Hey, man. Got a 2003 Honda Accord. Okay. The air condition blows fine, but uh -huh. the compressor's cycling on and off. Okay. Drive it about five miles, it'll do good, and then all of a sudden it'll go off, and you've got to turn the AC off, cut it back on before it'll you know, start working properly mm -hmm. again. One thing that causes that, David, that we see quite a bit is the clutch Call and there's a call inside the clutch on the compressor. That when they get older, what will happen when they get hot, they'll just open, they'll get open in them. And when mm -hmm. they do, it'll release the compressor and it's not going to come on until it cools back off. One easy way to kind of sort of test for that if you get a voltmeter and run it until it does it, and then reach down there and just kind of back probe those two little terminals. If you got 12 volt and ground going into the call and the call is disengaged, then that call is bad. Mm -hmm. And you can change just the call without changing the rest of the compressor if you want on that one because Honda sells each part separately. They don't sell an assembly. 
Yeah, now I think we changed that, that clutch on that compressor, I think, probably about three years ago. Yeah, did you put an aftermarket one or you put a Honda one on it? Well, I didn't do it. A local repair shop did yeah, it. Yeah, they might have used an aftermarket clutch on it. That's usually what the problem is if yep. it's going out and then coming back. Yeah, now, and it, when it comes back, I mean, it cools great. Right, exactly. Right. So it's, it's fully charged and all. One other thing you might just check, David, is check the gap, the air gap between the end plate and the clutch hub itself. Because if they change that clutch and they didn't set that air gap right, that will make that clutch overheat. In other words, uh-huh. if, it's, if it's got it's little tiny shims in there that you can take out to adjust that air gap. Yes, sir. If the gap is excessive, what will happen is it will slip just slightly, which generates a whole lot more heat. And that will cause the call to overheat and it will kick out. Well, that so, sounds like that might be a little something over my head. Then. Well, yeah, and it's pretty minor to for a shop to address that for you. That would be the thing, but if you put a voltmeter on it and you got power and ground going into the clutch and the clutch mm-hmm. is not engaged, and that's what it is, if you don't have power and ground, of course, you got to chase back, and it could be a cycle switch or something going bad, but that would be pretty rare. Yes, it's sir. more common that the clutch kicks out on them. Well, I sure appreciate you. All righty. Thank have you, sir. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Just go ahead and give us a call. You'll get Tons of air conditioning questions. It's that time of year. I wonder why. Yeah, it's that time of year. (laughs) Was it 100 degrees out? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it doesn't take very long to uh, know your air conditioning is not working. Hey, we got Matt on the line. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Got a question about oil, types of oil. Sure. And I have a 2006 Chevy Equinox. Okay. And have a 2004 Chevy Silverado. Uh Uh-huh. And the Silverado has a V6, and so does the Equinox. Mm-hmm. My question is, I went from the stamp on it says to use 5W30. Correct. And I, after discussing it with a friend of mine, kind of figured they went that the manufacturers recommended the 5W30 because they wanted your engine to wear out faster. No, that's incorrect. That's incorrect? Yes. Okay. So anyway, I went to 10W30 and using. Don't do that. You need to go back that. to the 5. No, you can have problems. Okay. So, um, so the first off, it's a misconception that most people have about oil. 10W30 is not one iota thicker than 5W30. They're both 30-weight okay. oils when they're hot. So you got absolutely no more protection. The only difference is that 5W30 has more viscosity improver in it, so it can respond quicker when it's cold. There's when it's cold, which means anything below 100 degrees, then it's going to act like a 5-weight oil and flow better. Now, see, both of those engines, well, Equinox at least has variable valve time in it. It requires that five-weight oil to get in there and make all that stuff work properly. Not okay. only that, but you can increase the volatility on oil and end up burning up your catalytic converter. Uh-huh. And you're not going to get proper lubrication when the engine's cold. And, again, you got to remember on an engine, 180 degrees is cold. So uh, Say you, that again, please. On an engine, 180 degrees is considered cold. Yeah. Yeah, most of your okay. engines now are running, running two, 210, 212. Right. But they're both 30-weight oils when they're hot. So that argument about, well, I wanted a thicker oil. No, you're not getting a thicker oil. You're getting the exact same oil when at 100 degrees Celsius. They're both going to be 30-weight oil. It's just okay. it can't respond faster. See, what, the way they, they make a multi-viscosity oil like that is they remove more of the paraffin from the oil. Paraffin is what makes oil thicken up as it gets colder. Paraffin. So by removing more of the paraffin from the oil, this oil can respond better when it's cold. You're just getting a better oil at 530. Right. Okay, so, so, so now I, you, I need to switch back to 5 Absolutely. That's right. Now absolutely. you got something to do the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, yeah, that's real, a very real, common misunderstanding right. that people have. If I've been doing that for a couple of years now on both of them, how much damage do you think I've done? Who knows? I mean, some, but probably not irreversible. One thing about a Chevrolet motor, particularly that 4.3 liters, is tough as nails. I mean, oh, that's yeah. pretty yeah. much the old 350 engine with two cylinders cut off of it. 
Uh -huh. they, they can stand a lot of abuse. If that would have been a Ford, you'd had problems already, or if it had been okay. anything else. I mean, I don't think you've done any irreversible damage at this point, but I would go ahead and put the proper oil in it. Okay, guys. All right. I appreciate the help. Okay, All right, man. sir. Thank you, man. Bye. Bye-bye. you the part of the automotive buyer. We'd love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech from Agco, sitting right here in the co-pilot seat. Between the two of us, we'll try to get any questions answered you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? Hey, let's go get our phone line. Chuck, good morning, Chuck. How you doing? Doing great, sir. So I have a problem. Okay. I have a 2001 Chevy pickup 4.3. Yes, sir. And when I drive in town, which is not often, but mm -hmm. it does happen, and stop and go traffic, uh -huh. at some point it fails to downshift to low. Okay. And usually I remedy that by putting it in low, and I think it goes to second. I don't think it actually goes all the way down to first. And then I can get my way out of here. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when it refuses to do that, I turn it off, let it sit yes, for sir. a little bit, mm -hmm. turn it back on, and it seems to work. Yes, sir. That is probably going to be an external problem, I think, Chuck. I wish Josh was here. I could ask him to tell you for sure. But there's a lot of things on the outside of transmission that are going to control when it shifts. And okay. what kind of sort of gives that away is that when you turn it off and you start it again and it goes, that kind of resets everything. Electrical. Right. So that is not necessarily going to be a internal transmission problem, although it could be. What I would first do, pull the dipstick on it, Look at the fluid, see if it's dark, and if it is dark, smell it, and see if it smells kind of like burnt popcorn. Okay. If the fluid is dark and smells burned, the odds are pretty high that you got a fairly significant internal transmission problem. If the fluid is nice and pink and doesn't smell like burnt popcorn, chances are you may have a command issue. I have not heard that exact complaint before. I'm sure okay. Josh has. What we see a lot on those is where they won't shift. Like, say, you get down on it, it won't shift out of overdrive. It'll just keep speeding up. It won't shift to the next gear. And a lot of times, that's something like a throttle position sensor or a bad map sensor or something like that. It just doesn't get to command because a 4L60E takes the command from the map sensor as far as upshifting and downshifting. 
And like I said, it could be something as simple as just an external uh, sensor or something that's bad. Could be a solenoid that's hanging up. Of course, when you start getting solenoids hanging up, a lot of times it's because the transmission is generating metal and solenoids are electromagnets. Right. Okay. So how many miles do you have on it, Chuck? I got 148,000. Well, I can tell you, at 148 k it's never been changed. Yeah, you're pretty close to the life of that transmission. Not one of Chevrolet's proudest moments. <laughs> Generally, I mean, very few people see 200,000 miles with that transmission. Most people around 100 to 125 is where they're changing them. Some people make 140. But check that fluid and see. That's going to give you a pretty good idea. Okay. You know, if the fluid is burnt smelling, then you're very likely going to be in the transmission. Again, if it hadn't been serviced recently, what you might want to do is bring it to us. I can scan the sensors on it. I can do a pressure test. I can drop the pan, see if there's any metal in there. It probably needs a service anyway, so you wouldn't really be losing anything. And you may be able to fix it that way. If not, when I get the pan off, if it's got a snap ring and a bunch of bearings laying in the pan, you pretty much know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All righty. I appreciate it. Okay, Chuck. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we've got Don's been patiently holding. Good morning, Don. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning, sir. I got a Saturn automobile, and okay. obviously they don't make those anymore. Yes, the sir. body control module went out on it, Uh huh. and I had it replaced. Okay. And lo and behold, my car has 40,000 fewer miles on it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did they put a used module in it? Not according to them, but that's my first thought. Yeah, because, see, the mileage is stored in the instrument panel cluster and the body module. And the only way that that should happen is if they put a used module in it. Because when you put a new module in, it's going to ask you for the mileage, and you're going to enter it in. And if you enter the correct mileage, then it'll be correct again. And it only lets you do that one time. So okay. once it's entered in, you're done. It seals off, and that's to keep people from buying computers and just sticking them in and changing mileage. But that's the only thing I can think of. See, that's going to be a big problem if you ever get ready to sell the car. Because whenever you get an inspection sticker, they record your mileage. And if you go down there and your mileage is lower than the last time, boy, that's going to pop back and you can have all kinds of issues. So you have to, at very least, have a, a notarized yeah, statement. Yeah, some kind of documentation. Right, from the shop. And there's the state has what they call an odometer revision document. That has to be filled out, notarized, and kept in the vehicle. Okay. Because you can get in all kinds of problems. But I think I'd go right straight back to whoever changes and say, hey, guys, you know, this isn't what it was. We need to have this corrected. I've done that once mm -hmm. and still waiting on a response. Yeah, I mean, they basically are in violation of several federal laws if they change that mileage. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think that's anything they want to get into. You know, say, well, I'll tell you what, if you can't get this fixed, I'm going to call the Department of Transportation and ask them what their opinion is on this. Uh, okay, uh, that, the state that's attorney what general. <laughs> What's my next step and option with them? Yeah, okay. I mean, I can't imagine anybody sweating you too much on that because i know that's a violation of federal law to change that mileage okay they either got to put a new module in or they got to get your mileage right yeah right or at very least give you a notarized statement of what's going you know that it was changed okay all righty hey i appreciate it okay man all right, thank sir. you bye-bye right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour we would love to have you and we've got william online good morning william good morning yes sir. i always enjoy your show and thank you i particularly enjoy how you guys handle yourselves well, thank you how thank truthful you, sir. and forthright you are but my question this morning is, what is your opinion of, I've got an 07 Jeep Wrangler four-door and uh -huh. an 07 Jeep Commander. Yes, sir. What's your opinion of the synthetic oils? Synthetic is a great product, William. Not everybody needs it. In fact, I've got a nice article on the website entitled, Should I Use Synthetic Oil? 
that gives you a tremendous amount of information. And I'll kind of briefly summarize it for you, but if you go back and read that article, it'll give you even more information on it. Technically, the folks who need synthetic oil are either people who just don't drive their cars very much at all. They're making short, short trips. Like people a lot of times have a car, maybe they're only putting 5,000 miles a year, and each one of those trips is maybe five miles at a time. Synthetic oil is great under those conditions. It's great if you got a kid in college and he's going to probably miss an oil change now and then you just want to give him some extra protection. It's great for people who have high-performance cars and want the extra protection. The Really, the only drawback to it is that it comes at a price. It's probably three times as expensive as regular oil. And most engines, if you use a regular standard petroleum oil and change it every 3,000 miles, the engine's probably going to outlive the car, not going to have much trouble as long as you do that. So it's kind of sort of spending money for nothing unless you fall into one of those other three categories. Okay, that makes good sense. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the information. Oh, we sure thank you for calling. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. And we got Jim online. Good morning, Jim. Hey, Lewis. I got a problem with my 96 DeVille. The serpentine belt is chirping a lot. Uh We've been through aftermarket belts, uh, factory belts, changed idler bearings. Jim, if you put a factory belt on there and it's still chirping, you got No, it stopped it. Okay. It stopped it, but now it started again. Okay, coming back. How long a period of time? About two months. Yeah, it's coming back again like that. You're going to have one of two or three different problems. Number one is the belt tensioner may have inadequate pressure. I changed that. Okay. If you got a known good tension, then you've probably got a pulley that is not perfectly lined up. Something is just a little bit out of line. Yeah. Now, if you've ever changed a pulley on there, an idler pulley, and you put an aftermarket pulley, some of those don't line up perfectly, and so the little grooves are just a little bit off. Yep. And that will make that belt chirp like crazy. Or have you ever had an air-conditioned compressor or an alternator change and a shim fell out behind? We haven't gone into the AC unit yet, and that's what I'm afraid I'll have to, you know? Yeah. might want to make sure it is the belt chirping and not something else that sounds like a belt, too. That's another thing that we see quite a bit. It's definitely the belt. Okay. Well, you know, one thing you could do, Jim, is get a wrench and get in that little square hole on the belt tensioner. Yeah, I was thinking maybe that needs more adjustment. Just give it a little push and see if the noise goes away. Okay. If it does, the tensioner may not, even though it's a new tensioner, it may not be adequately tight. Uh, now, one other possibility, if anything's ever been changed on that engine and one of the pulleys is somewhat smaller than the original one was, yeah. then your belt may be slightly longer than it needs to be, which is going to lose your tension. See, a lot of times, you, know, you figure a 96 has probably had some work done on it over the years. Let's say someone changed the alternator and the new alternator was just a little bit smaller than the old one. Well, now or, it was, or the case was built different and it moved the position of the right. alternator. Now, we have changed the alternator. Well, look at that belt tensioner, and there's normally a little indicator of some sort, like a little line with yep. some little B lines on the side right. of it. See if you're in the right. middle of that range. Right. And if you're all the way to one extreme or the other, sometimes you may have to go to just a tad bit shorter belt or something. I see. Because even a new tensioner is going to not be able to put out full tension at its okay. length of its travel. All right. Well, we'll try what you said, and if we can't get it corrected, we'll bring it in. All right, sir. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi. I'm sorry. We're just totally out of time. Bill, give me a call next week or hit me an email. I'll be glad to answer your question for you. I want to thank everybody for listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. We'd like to also thank our pod listeners. Listen every week. Tell your friends. That's right. Get some more. We need as many listeners as we can get. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.